Welcome to episode 7 of the Highway to Health show. I'm your host, Dr. E, the Stem Cell Guy, and my guest today is Dr. Nisha Chalam. I met Dr. Chalam a couple of years ago at a workshop event, but this is the first time that I really got to know more about her unique practice and viewpoint. She is, in her own words, a recovering physician. This is because she went from a traditional internal medicine practice to functional medicine. Functional medicine focuses on treating patients as a whole. And of course, for most of you hearing this, it will sound counterintuitive and you're probably thinking, well, how are people being treated? And true this, traditional medicine is focusing more and more on treating symptoms. So patients go in to see a doctor and he or she gets treated for a specific symptom. But the underlying cause in terms of lifestyle, nutrition, and all these different things that we can do to prevent being there in the first place is rarely addressed. Functional medicine aims to correct this. In this episode, Dr. Nisha Chalam shares with us what functional medicine is and what caused her to transition from internal medicine to functional medicine. She will also explain to us what her nutritional advice is for health and longevity and many other things. Here's my conversation with Dr. Nisha Chalam. Are you ready to live ageless? Want to discover alternative health choices, cutting edge nutrition, and fitness for the entire family? Welcome to Highway to Health Show with your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy, where Dr. E helps you live ageless. And now, here's your host, Dr. E. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Highway to Health Show. I'm your host, Dr. E, the stem cell guy. My guest today believes that the physician burnout we're seeing is caused by a total failure in the job they do. Most doctors see patients coming in with symptoms and treat them with different drugs according to the current guidelines, only to see them come back with new symptoms and diseases. It is a game of whack-a-mole that can never be won. And she should know. Dr. Nisha Chalam is a board-certified internal medicine physician who practiced this way for 20 years. It wasn't until she became ill herself that she realized how little sense current medical practice makes. Upon recovering, she discovered functional medicine, which is a science-based approach to understand not only the disease that affects a patient, but the person having the disease. This changed the focus of her entire practice, pushing her to found Holistic and Integrative Center of Novi in 2015, where she focuses on partnering with her patients to achieve optimal health and well-being. And yes, you heard that right. She's a doctor who partners with her patients. Oh, I'm so very excited to have her here. Nisha, welcome to Highway to Health. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be a part of this. Well, no, I'm very excited to have you here. I think we're going to have a great conversation. I think that our listeners are going to benefit tremendously from your knowledge and your expertise. Before we get started, why don't you tell them a little bit about you and how do you get started in functional medicine? Yes, I am what I call a recovering physician. So I was recovering from the traditional practice of medicine. I started getting tired probably in the first decade of my practice. So I used to work for the VA, which for any doctor who wants to find a job that is very satisfying with great patients, I think the VA is the best place to go. Now, of course, there is bureaucracy. But over the years at the VA, what I realized is patients came to see me year after year. And they will start off with just one disease and I will give them a drug based on the current guidelines, right? You're a diabetic. I need to put you on metformin. I need to put you on aspirin because you're at a high risk for heart disease. I'm going to put you on an ACE inhibitor, lisinopril, to protect your kidneys. I'm going to give you a statin, a cholesterol-lowering drug because you're at a higher risk, again, for heart disease and strokes. 
So we started off with this. And by the third year, I noticed that they also had depression. They had arthritis. Their disease list kept getting longer. And their medication list got even longer because every time I gave a medicine, there were two or three side effects that we had to deal with. So now you're taking a drug that metformin is causing diarrhea. So I'm going to give you a little emodium, right? And then now you have a little bit of a constipation and heartburns. I'm going to give you Prilosec. Now you have a low bone density. So we're going to put you on something for the bone density. It was like literally the dog chasing its tail. And I didn't know what needed to be done different. I would talk to them about lifestyle, you know, the usual stuff, exercise, diet, the low fat diet, constantly working out, you know, walk 45 minutes, all of this. And I never found my patients could stick to a program. Neither could I, because I was trying to advise them the things that I was doing and I didn't do it for very long. And I think after about a decade, I quit the VA, which even today, I think my parents think it was my midlife crisis who quits a federal government job with all of the perks, you know, the TSP, your uh, vacations, 21 days of paid vacation, 11 public holidays and pension fund. But I actually quit it because, you know, you go into medicine thinking you're going to help people get better, but actually I was making them worse in the process of what I knew to get them better. You know, all I knew in my toolbox was another medication, another referral, another test, and another surgery. I didn't have anything more than that. And of course, my time with the patient. So when I quit the practice, my thought process was I'm going to spend more time and talk to them about their life, their lifestyle. And within a year or so, I realized even though I spend a lot of time with my patients, my patients never came back to see me. Because I realized their health was determined by the insurance. So insurance pays for that one annual physical exam for which they feel is a free visit. It's not a free visit. You've already paid in premiums. So they didn't want to come back till the next annual physical exam. And here I had given them instructions. And a year from now, they were guilty coming back to see me because they didn't do anything that I told them to. And then, of course, I fell sick. And this is usually the story of most functional medical doctors. Either they have a family member or themselves who've fallen sick. And I remember gaining weight, losing my hair, having severe insomnia, having this constant chronic back pain and neck pain that would not go away. I was only in my early 40s at that time. And my blood sugars were high. I come from a family of diabetics. My mother's side, she has nine siblings. All of them are diabetics. Four of them died from complications. So when my 90-day average, which we call as the hemoglobin A1C, was in the pre-diabetic range, I started myself on metformin, and I went and saw an endocrinologist, mainly because I was having the weight gain, hair loss, and migraine headaches, the back pain, and all of that. So we had a chat for about 30 minutes. We chatted, I think, 20 minutes about the electronic medical records, which we all struggle with, and another 10 minutes about my health. And she said, all of your tests look, you know, kind of fine. Just take a B12, take a vitamin D. We'll see you in six months. And it just occurred to me, nobody has a solution till you have a disease. That's the journey in the medical system. Like something is abnormal, let's watch In another six months, something will show up. Then we have something to treat. And around this time, I got referred to a functional medical conference. And what I realized is 
every doctor that came up on stage said, this person came to me with this many years of lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, and then in three to six months, their life dramatically changed. The key missing component was we don't know the person having the disease. We're constantly treating the disease. The same diabetes, if I had 10 patients with diabetes, 10 of them would have to get different treatments because each one of them has their own personal stressor. And if I don't know their internal and external stressors, I really cannot help them. So it gave me some time. I spent the next 18 months to two years focusing on what you call a self-development, understanding my stressors, understanding what I was doing, how I was reacting to life. And before I knew my migraines, which I've had from the age of 11, which got much worse, my diabetes, my thyroid, my back pain, everything completely went away. I mean, these were things that I had initially for several years on and off, but it became more consistent as I made this transformation. And I realized there's a root cause for everything. So that's when I actually started implementing functional medicine within my traditional practice. But again, it was changing the indoctrination of people. You know, if my insurance doesn't cover something, I'm not going to do it. Rather than if this is what I need, I need to do it. I had to make that shift. So finally, I think about a year ago, I quit insurance and I do completely functional medicine for those folks who want to take that step towards creation of health, not management of disease. I think that's a great approach and it allows you to help them better. One of the prevailing themes of all the different guests that I've been having on the show recently, and something that I very, very profoundly believe in, is that patients need to take ownership of their disease and their health. It's very easy nowadays, especially as we start normalizing a lot of things. I recently saw a video of one of these doctors online asking parents to stop, for instance, normalizing childhood obesity. He started calling these parents out and saying, if your child is obese, it's because you are not feeding them the right things. It's not because he's heavy, you know, he's big boned and he's strong and he's all these things. He is obese or he's overweight. And the same thing with us, we start normalizing all these plus size models and we start normalizing all these different inadequate health issues because people don't want to take ownership. They simply don't want to recognize. And I'm not saying you shouldn't love yourself. On the contrary, I think you should love yourself enough to say, this is not the right way to do this or to treat myself. And I need to really seek it out. And that allows you as a doctor, going back to what you were sharing, if you're only working with the patients willing to have some skin in the game per se, and to put their extra effort and to go the extra mile to work with someone like you, that's what allows you to deliver your absolute best to a work, I believe. I totally agree with you. I think we live in a world where we want everything to be politically correct, right? So this is what I tell people. If you're fat, you're fat. Call okay. yourself fat. Say, hey, I love food and I don't like to exercise. This is where I am. Take that ownership right? It's not something that's insulting. It is just, that's who you are. If you're very thin and anorexic, then that's what you are. You hate food. You're constantly anxious and running around, but take ownership of where you are. But to tell somebody, I know I'm big, but I love myself and I don't need to do anything is getting comfortable with disease. And like you said, just because something is common, it doesn't become normal. 
And we as physicians, I would say the medical system actually does this. And in fact, I've created a meme about this. When you walk into a doctor's office, your blood sugar is high, your blood pressure is high. You know what they say? You know, your blood pressure is just a little high. Take this pill and it should be fine. And we'll check you back in three months. Your blood sugar is a little high. Here's some medication and it should be fine. Da, da, da. That's it. But when you have cancer, they call you, they have you bring your family, they sit down, they talk to you, they break the news. It's like, this is a huge thing because your life is in balance. And so now you take the cancer very seriously. That's a catastrophic event. To me, diagnosis of diabetes is a catastrophic event. Diagnosis of hypertension is a catastrophic event. If we as physicians don't emphasize that when a patient comes to you with high blood pressure, you need to tell them immediately what is the impact it's going to have and how much control they have over that particular abnormal value. Because 25 years later, when they have their stroke, it's not the time to say, oh, he had high blood pressure for so many years. But you told me that was fine. It was normal. Everybody around me has it, right? So even when somebody gains weight, I've had a very hard time. For me, if you don't take ownership of your health and we put doctors in a position that if I say, hey, I think you're gaining weight and you need to get your act together here, that comes across as, oh my God, this doctor is so rude. That's not what it is. This is, we have a crisis. When you're losing your health, weight gain is just a sign and symptom of you losing your health. High blood pressure is a sign and symptom of you losing your health. High blood sugar, high cholesterol, they all are signs and symptoms of losing your health. And if you don't act upon it, if you don't make it a big deal, either from the physician standpoint or your own personal standpoint, it's going to be something that will come back to bite you, right? Absolutely. So I agree with you. A lot of times we can blame people because it's a lack of education. Our focus is really what is our focus? When you look at the TV ads, it's about food. It's about beer. It's about medications. Nobody is talking about creating health. They're always telling you, hey, you're struggling with all of this. Don't worry. Here's a pill we have. Just take it and live your life the way you've always been living. That was my second comment right behind that. because. Absolutely. I think that patients should take ownership of their condition up to the point that they can, because if you're not educated on something, then you probably cannot act upon it, but you're still responsible. So then your responsibility is to seek out a doctor who will educate you. And as physicians, I've always believed that our role, number one, is as educators, because yes. we have a way to identify certain things happening on these people. And instead of just telling them, oh, yeah, here you go. This is how you solve the problem. Take this pill and get better and stop bugging me. It's more about, okay, let me share with you why this is happening and why this is important. And if you don't do this, this is what's going to happen. But if you do it, this is what's going to happen. So as a doctor, I think that it is our responsibility to educate them. And I never meant to say like, oh, well, it's all the patient's fault. No, on the contrary, I think that patients should be the ones taking ownership and seeking out the answers. But as doctors, it is our job to educate these people just as much as it is our job to identify their problems and give them their solution. If we don't educate them as to why that happened and why the solution that we're suggesting is going to reverse that, it's useless. They're simply not going to understand and use it. Yeah, there's also one other big point in that. The doctors need education. We are 
in a system that tells us that disease is normal, disease is inevitable, and the treatment of a disease is a drug. So that's how most of us are trained when you look at the MDDO system. That's what we're trained. And that's what patients want from us. When you've had a headache for six months, you come to your doctor, you want to get better instantaneously. And the only tool in my toolbox is a medication. And when I have 15 other patients waiting behind you, I don't have time for education. The whole system has to change, but it begins with a very conscientious doctor who says, you know what? I can give you a migraine medicine for now, but you need to get down to why you have the migraine. Maybe I would give out checklists or maybe I would create a video helping people understand what migraines come from, where they come from and what they can do for themselves. But again, this is where the system, when I said, you know, when you look at my intro, we burn out because the system is really built on a business model. It's not built on a caring partnership model. The partnership is you with insurance, your doctor with your insurance. When that insurance part falls through, that is your insurance changes, your doctor changes. You don't have a relationship with your doctor. You have a relationship with your insurance. So we're thinking about this all the wrong way. The doctor's not educated in health creation. They're really well-educated in disease knowledge, disease management. So as a patient, you need to seek out the right kind of doctor depending on what you want as the result. And I think that's where the paradigm shift has to happen both in the medical system and from a consumer standpoint. Absolutely. I could not agree more with you. I think the whole medical system needs to be revamped. I think that it's only serving insurance and pharmaceuticals. And really, the doctors aren't even benefiting. Most people, sometimes they will get this rant against the medical establishment, and it's usually the doctors that are the scapegoats. And in reality, doctors are just as victims as most of them. And the problem is that they can only practice in this system. So patients can go elsewhere. They can travel. They can have medical tourism. They can go to gas-based practices. But many of these doctors, they're trapped. They can, they can literally only work for some of these systems. So I completely agree. I think it is time to start reevaluating this. And I certainly hope that somebody does that. Now, changing gears and going into a bit more of a positive thing here, what would you consider are the most basic foundations of functional medicine? So functional medicine is, simply put, we're trying to figure out how to get the body to function normally again. And there are only two questions you have to ask. Number one, what does your body need in order to heal? Or what does your body need to remove in order to heal? It's as simple as that. If I can figure out what your body is missing, and that's why it's not healing, or what is in its way of healing, we can get you to heal. So that's really the root cause, right? Absolutely. And that's the basis of regenerative medicine as well, which is my field. People ask me like, oh my God, there's so many things that are cured with stem cell therapy. Like, no, nothing is cured by stem cell therapy. There's not a single thing that stem cell therapy will cure. It promotes healing and it allows your body to heal. But that's why it's so important. Everything that you do before and everything that you do after the stem cell infusion, people think that, oh, I'm just going to go get stem cells. Like it's a super magical bullet and it's a great tool, but it's only that it's just a tool in the doctor's arsenal and their doctor's toolkit. And it's so important to do everything before and after. And not surprisingly, it's really 
functional medicine trained doctors are the ones that have been doing a lot of progress in regenerative medicine fields, you know, treating autoimmune disorders and all these things because they understand this. It's not just about I get a sick patient and instead of giving them the drugs, I give them stem cell therapy. Now they're doing great. Well, no. I totally agree with you. So I don't do stem cells, but I do understand the basis. And this is traditionally even Ayurvedic medicine. They say a seed, if you take a mango tree and you have the seed, the seed has all of the information it needs in order to become a mango tree and produce a fruit. Similarly, every stem cell has the information in it to become anything it needs to become whether it be a cartilage or a brain cell or a bone cell, it has the information. What you feed it, what is the environment it's going to be in, is going to tell you how strong that cell is going to be, what it was generating from the stem cell. So people go to stem cell therapy without changing anything about themselves. And they continue the same way and their stem cell actually fail. I always tell my patients, remove all the sources of inflammation before you go for stem cell treatment. When that stem cell is in the right atmosphere, what you get out of it is going to be tremendously much better than somebody who doesn't do anything. Because if the cell comes back to the same atmosphere that created the problem to begin with, it is going to be a problematic cell. And also we have to remember, you can do 25 years of damage and then two weeks of eating healthy and say, I need to be cured. It requires another journey. You know, you've made a journey to illness. You've got to make your journey back to wellness. What do you mean? There's not an app for that? <laughs> no. <laughs> People usually think that way. They believe it like, oh, no, no, I'm very serious about it. And I know that I've made bad choices over the last 20 years. But now because I'm going to go super serious on this, probably in three months, I'm going to be able to lose all those 150 pounds that I'm carrying. Yeah be able to complete an Ironman triathlete. Like, well, that's not exactly how it works. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Even the scientists have not figured out the various reactions that go on in a cell. So when you make one switch, let's say just nutrition, we're not even talking about the stressors. You just flip that switch of just nutrition. For that nutrition to trickle down, it takes easily about 90 days. And I don't think people understand the impact of that. Just because you started losing weight because you shifted your diet does not mean you're getting healthy. It just means the body's getting adjusted to a new way of receiving new nutrients. And it will get into a plateau phase. And that's when you have to see, is this a sustainable way for me to live? If it's not, then you need to seek help to figure out how to make this sustainable. Yeah. Now, speaking about nutrients, and this is a very interesting question, do you advocate for any one particular way of eating. We're seeing a lot of these different fat diets and even the functional medicine community, you know, Dr. Hyman advocates a vegan diet, which he called like a paleo vegan diet. And Dr. Perlmutter talks about the no grains, the low carb, no gluten, Dr. Gundry about the lectins and removing all these different things. Do you fall into any of these camps or is there any particularities that you have? What can you share with us? Sure. All of these diets are like, I think Dr. Perlmutter, Dr. Mark Hyman, uh, Dr. Gundry, uh, Dr. Joel Conrad, they're all people I totally respect. But to me, it's like the six blind men seeing the elephant. Six blind men wanted to know what an elephant looked like. So they were taken into this place to see what an elephant is. And because they were blind, each one held on to an aspect of the elephant. So the guy who held on to the leg of the elephant said, oh, the elephant is as big as a tree trunk. The guy who got onto the tail said, oh, the elephant is like a snake. 
And the fellow he held on to the ears said, oh, the elephant is like a big fan. So it's from their perspective. Each one has struggled with certain things. And this is what they find has been effective for them, right? They see it from their point of view. In many ways, one of the things that we're realizing as medicine has evolved, we're all wired differently. And depending on our environment, we have what is called polymorphisms, which means change in our genetic material to help us adapt to our environment. This has created different metabolic pathways that would help us. For instance, I did a testing called neutral genomics where you see what is the best nourishment for you, how are you genetically wired. So to give an example of my own health, as a child, I come from India, in case you haven't guessed, but <laughs> and one of the things that Indian culture, milk is a huge part of our diet. We would have the milkman come early in the morning and he had to actually milk the cow in front of the person who was buying it because they didn't want any water added. So it would be thick, frothy milk. I hated the smell of milk and I would be forced to eat it because it was considered a very big part of our health and well-being. And obviously when I grew old enough to just flatly refuse to do it, it was much better. And then recently I did my nutrigenomics and I completely lack the lactase enzyme. I'm just not capable of metabolizing milk. So every time I drank it, I felt sick and I was nauseous. If I continue to eat and every time I ate cheese, I loved cheese a lot. It didn't bother me, but I was very inflamed. So a lot of times you have to look at where you come from. So I usually use the metabolic panel. I use the genetic testing and then I create a path of, you know, this is what you have to eat. My take on the diet is, which is something that has been hands down shown, is high fiber. Your microbiome needs a high fiber diet. I'm not talking about Metamucil or Miralax, but really a high plant-based whole food diet. You don't need meat three times a day. Now, I'm personally a plant-based person. Now, I'm doing plant-based mainly because I don't even like the smell of meat. It's just my own personal preference. I would love to say I'm a big ardent supporter of animals and all of that, but I know if nobody killed anybody, we would be outcrowded by a lot of animals. You know, that's how man in the past probably hunted and ate. But that being aside, I think what we are doing now, we're really making it such that we're eating meat three times a day, talking about protein. Protein is one of the macronutrients we cannot store. We can only store carbohydrates and fats. And then we're now on a ketogenic diet, which no culture in the world ever has been on a ketogenic diet. It's maybe a short period in the winter season. There may be a little more fat intake because you can cultivate a lot of things because of the soil and the winter season goes on an 80% ketogenic or fat diet. And there's no culture anywhere in the world that tells you that's what it's like. Except for newborns. You know, that's little protein, sugar. The milk has all of those components, right? But they don't have fiber. You're right. They don't have fiber, but the gut microbiome comes from the mother. So if the mother's health is not good, the child is going to have the colicky. And we have seen that. The child has eczema. You change the mother's diet, the child's eczema goes away. A breastfeeding child. So it's very powerful to change the gut microbiome. And really, I focus a lot on fiber. 
I really encourage our patients to get it from whole foods. The biggest challenge is people say, oh, I hate vegetables. I hate fruits. This is not something I'm used to. Actually, once you change the gut microbiome, your taste buds also change. So when you ask me, am I on any particular, I tend to favor more a plant-strong diet, mainly because there is no paleo diet that has shown reversal of heart disease. Ketogenic diets haven't shown reversal of any disease, but vegan diets have 100% shown reversal of several diseases, thanks to Dr. Dean Ornish. There are enough studies that show reversal of heart disease, reversal of early prostate cancer. So there's a lot of data on that, but it is not the right diet for everyone because you know you just have to be practical about it. It's not a sustainable diet for everyone. Most people can do it if they know how to cook. That's the biggest thing about being a plant-based. Uh, so no, I don't support one particular diet over the other. I look at an individual's uh, wiring. I call it the hard wiring and then their environmental wiring, which is their metabolic profile. And then their personal desires, because I want it to be a sustainable, and then we create a diet plan based on that. Well, that's good, because it's not like you're completely married to one particular way of eating. Yeah. I don't either. I'll be very frank and honest with you. I am what I call myself a recovering vegan. I did a strong plant-based vegan diet for about two, two and a half years, and it really didn't serve me. And, you know, people will come and say like, oh, you weren't doing it right, and you weren't doing all these different things, but it certainly did not serve me. And by analyzing, by doing the U-biome and by doing all these different biome tests, analyzing my microbiome, analyzing my genetics, I realized that that's not the ideal diet for me. It simply didn't serve me. So now I'm more to a high-fat diet. That seemed to help me a lot. That keeps my energy levels high. But I completely agree that it is not adequate for everyone. I've always said this to patients. If there's one thing that every single diet has is people that are thriving in it. All of them. It doesn't matter pretty much which one you're looking at, at least for a certain amount of time. So maybe it is a great diet for you to transition into. People use the vegan diet to transition from the standard American diet, and I think that's great. That's why I experienced an initial benefit several years ago when I first switched. It was like, oh my God, this is great. And just by eliminating most of these processed frankenfoods that you really start feeling much better, but then you also have to be very honest to listen to yourself and understand that we're not all the same and some people might thrive on it and some people don't necessarily do that. And it's great that your practice allows for this variability and it's not like, well, unless you're 100% plant-based, then you're out of here or unless you're... No, no. I think as physicians, our job is to help patients. Completely, you have to see where your patients come from my job is to make sure I get them to optimal health and well-being, no matter where they are. You know, whether they want to have a vegan diet, a keto diet, paleo diet, I engage them in their own health. If I can show that your blood test, hey, you're eating so much butter and ghee and you got your lipoproteins through the roof, you got all your C-reactive protein and the other inflammatory markers are all high and I'm not really sure this is really working well for you. How about we add a few things? I don't want to take away what you're already enjoying. The other thing you also have to keep in mind is any diet you have should be easy for you to do and sustainable. And we know when you look at the Atkins diet, that was not sustainable for a lot of people because they always slipped back. They looked sick and they smelt a lot because of the high protein, the urea that would come out. And same thing with the ketogenic diet. 
if you want to do mostly ketogenic diet, a lot of it is 80% of it is fat. You're almost drinking oil a lot of times. And the recommendations are coming from the fitness industry predominantly. And these guys work out three, four hours a day. Not all of our patients do that. So putting them on an 80% fat diet does not serve them well either. So we have to modify it based on where they are, what their genetics are, what their metabolic profile is, and also make it sustainable so it's not easy when they're going out to eat, they're not stuck. I think sustainable is the key here as well Mm -hmm. because, and this is very important, and I always say this to the people that I coach and to my patients, you cannot do a diet, any diet that you decide to go on, you cannot do it 80% well and expect 80% of the results. If you just do 80% of a diet, you're going to get 5% of the results. That's the way it is. It is much better to do a diet that might not be the 100% ideal one, but that you can sustain 95% of the time than to do the absolute best ideal ketogenic diet if you can only do it 60% of the time or 80% of the time because you're not going to get 80% of the results. Right, right. And in the ketogenic diet too, many of my patients will come and say, I do the ketogenic diet. And they'll say, how many hours are you in ketosis? I'm like, oh, I don't know. They don't check the ketos. Then you're not on the ketogenic diet. Ketogenic diet is by definition, you are in ketosis for so many hours and your body is eating off of ketones. So if you're not checking it, you're on probably an Atkins diet, but you don't know that. So again, this is very science-based. There's a lot of studies coming about ketogenic diets. And if you really look at it, ketones were first discovered in a fasting state. They were never in a full state. We as human beings want to have our cake and eat it also. As a matter of fact, the Atkins was a fasting mimicking diet because since they encouraged the consumption of fat as opposed to carbs, really, that kind of promoted all these metabolic changes because people didn't want to fast for long periods of time. Yeah, that is true. I agree with you. But to some degree, when you really look at the high protein diet, reading to increase insulin-like growth factor, increase possibly an incidence of cancer, ketogenic diet, increasing the possibility of atherosclerosis in the wrong people, you know, the wrong people doing the diet. And then the high carb diet, which is mostly some people just go to a high refined. I mean, we've always heard Oreo cookie and Coke can be a vegan diet, right? But I think we're the only species in the world that's confused about what we should eat, maybe because we have modified our food so much that nobody really knows what is real food. I think we need to go back to the basics. If you know your fundamentals, I think it's much easier. Absolutely. Yeah, I could not agree more. I think it's just about the basics. It's about eating real food. I've never really thought of it that way, but in reality, you're right. We're the only species who's confused about what should we eat. And really, it shouldn't be that hard. That's the power of the cortex of the brain. We think too much, right? (laughs) Yeah. Now, what are the two, for instance, from your point of view, And your expertise, if one of our listeners, which many of them are, I'm sure, have listened to you right now and they're like, you know what, I really want to start getting my life on the right track, what would be your top two or three things that you could recommend they can start doing today to do those things inexpensively and it's already right there available for them? So the most important thing is take responsibility. I give this example. If a 28-year-old walks into my office and says, I'm really scared. I need to be checked out really well. My grandmother had breast cancer. My aunt has breast cancer. My mother has breast cancer. I'm worried I'll get breast cancer. I will guarantee you will get breast cancer. Just the thought process, hey, my genetic line is such that 
everybody has breast cancer, so you just need to check me for it. No, you need to walk into a doctor's office and say, there's a strong history of breast cancer. Can I get my genetic testing done and tell me how I can prevent in me breast cancer? Take responsibility. Once you blame something over to somebody else, you've lost power. Now you feel like I can't do anything. It runs in my family. So I think the number one is take responsibility. Number two, the very important thing, how you do one thing in life is how you do everything in life. So if you have a messy home, if you don't take care of yourself, people can look at somebody and say, hey, this person doesn't take care of themselves. They walk around not dressed well. You know, just the self-care is lacking. That would be an indication when you don't take care of your external, you're not taking care of your internal. You'll find that most people who take care of themselves internally will take care of themselves externally too. And the third thing is, remember, if you feel there's a power in a pill, you're taking a medicine makes a huge impact. Think of the power in a plate of food. And that's probably look at your food and say, and I think the statement was made by I think Michael Pollan. He said, food can come from a plant or can be made in a plant. Where does your food come from? If it comes from a plant, it's probably good food. If it is made in a plant, food can be nourishment, entertainment, or addiction, right? When it comes made in a plant, it is entertainment and can become an addiction. Absolutely. I had never heard that one. I'll look it up by Michael Pollan, you say? Yeah. The way I explain it to people is the source of energy on earth is sun. The only only organism on earth that can capture the energy of the sun is the plant by photosynthesis. The plant takes in sunlight and poops out air for us. But it also gets the nutrients. That's why the strongest and biggest animals get it directly from plants. And then we kill those animals and get our energy from there. So photosynthesis being a good way to capture the energy. And then when you look at the carnivorous animals, they eat the herbivorous animals. They get their energy through that. So a lot of times when you look at that as a source of energy, make sure it's on your plate. If you don't have that, you probably are eating mostly dead food. Perfect. Perfect. Well, those are great pieces of advice. But before we wrap this up, how can people learn more about you, your practice? How can they benefit from everything that you're constantly putting out there? We are a holistic and integrative center of Novi. We're located in Michigan. If you actually subscribe on our page for our newsletter, you'll get all of our podcasts. And one of the key things, like I said, my best patient is a well-educated patient. One of the worst patients are people who just show up in my office and says, I need to get well. So a lot of it is we put out educational material where you can be your best doctor. And I always tell people our practice is the one place we help you find your best doctor. And that will always be you because nobody else understands your stresses and your life that is impacting your genetics and your metabolism. So holisticicon.com is our website. And right on our website, you have patient resources, which has podcasts, which has educational videos, which also has blogs. And all of that information is really designed to help you learn. I also write for medium.com, which is another source, and I do share it on our Facebook. So Nisha Chalam MD is my Facebook. We have Twitter, which really connects to our Facebook and Instagram, and of course, LinkedIn. 
Perfect. Thank you so much for being here. I feel like we're going to need a follow-up episode. There are so many other topics that I know you're very knowledgeable, experienced, and passionate about that I think that our audience is really going to benefit from. And I'm sure I'd love to be able to have you again at some point in the future to go over all these things. I know that you also talk a lot about different supplements. People tend to think that, well, there's got to be a pill for this. There's got to be a supplement that I need. I need more of this. I need more of that. But a lot of the times these can be dangerous. So I'm very happy and very thankful that you do the work you do and that you have all these resources out there for people to educate themselves. Because although they can probably not everyone go to your clinic in Detroit, I am sure that many of them can benefit and change their lives because of the information that you're putting out there. They can be better educated. They can have all these different ideas and expertise when they go in to see their own doctors or maybe to help them choose their own doctor. And this is incredibly valuable. Nisha, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the opportunity too. And you know, the fact that you reach out to other providers who provide value for your patients, I think that's an awesome thing to do. And I appreciate you having me on your podcast. Well, no, thank you for being here. And everyone, thank you for tuning in to another episode. I hope you enjoyed it. This has been episode seven of the Highwood Health Show with Dr. Nisha Chalam. If you would like to get the show notes, make sure to visit dre.show. Once again, that's dre.show forward slash 007. I'm going to make sure to link to Dr. Chalam's website, social media profiles, her blogs on Medium, and her podcast as well so that you can go follow her. If you have any questions about this or any of the other episodes, make sure to send them to us via the links in our website. If your question gets featured, you can get a free 15-minute consultation with yours truly. I'll be happy to address pretty much any of your concerns, any of your questions, and help you make better health choices. Without anything else to say, thank you all for tuning in to another episode, and I'll see you next week. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Dr. E's Highway to Health show, helping you learn the science of living ageless. Did you enjoy the show? Please like, share, and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. Dr. E wants to hear from you. Go to dre.show. Again, that's dre.show. Until next time, this is Dr. E's Highway to Health, helping you live ageless.